My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? I was using psychedelics wrong my entire life. Even even the good experiences I had had because I didn't know what I was doing. Like and that's the thing because these things are illegal that's why we don't know what we're doing in the first place. And that's where the fear comes in. Like why do you think we're so paranoid when we smoke weed? It's because of the endless amount of years of weed being illegal for something that's harmless. Like, you know, it's all about the respect you bring to it and how you're using it. You know, yeah, it can it can make you lazy and like, you know, there's harmful things it can do in certain ways. But is that really harmful? Like it's all in the eye of the beholder. And uh, so it wasn't until after I did ayahuasca and realized like, you know, this is, this is where it's at. Like this is real work being done here. These are, these are powerful tools, man. And these will blow the doors of perception wide open and they open your mind to new possibilities and, you know, new, new thought patterns and just new ways of looking at the world. Like that first LSD experience for me, man, like made me realize that we are all one. Like we are all one organism, like divided up, like into separate organisms, but we're all of the same source. Like some people call God source, but like I had that revelation, like come through my whole being. And like, just to realize that, like you realize that there's no reason to hate your neighbor because they're, they're a different political party, they're a different race, their sexuality. Like there's all these different things that divide us, man. And I had no reason to like pick a team anymore. And like it, and yeah, I can see how that can be like a communist ideal too. And like, yeah, you gotta be careful and toe the line with that and still keep your sanity and like realize like, yeah, we all, we all fall short sometimes. And like, yeah, we all have our weaknesses.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. On today's episode, I spoke with a man who's become a friend of mine over the past few months after having me on his podcast, becoming a part of Alt Media United, my podcast cooperative, and then joining me on this podcast, the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, for a conversation about psychedelics, his experience with Aya, as in ayahuasca, his experience at Soul Quest down in Florida, and his experience as a podcaster we talked about a lot of things personal to both him and i our relationship with psychedelics and various plant medicines so this is definitely a deep conversation folks andre mighty host of ascension of the chess men right so let me break that down for you folks because i think it's worth breaking down we are all pawns in someone else's game and in order for us to ascend we need to get past the traditional roles that we're given you know don't become a rook don't become a, a knight don't become a bishop ascend from the chessboard become your own player become your own person become your own soul rise above the game that is this modern society that we're living in so there you go hell of an endorsement a hell of a guy andre mighty host of the ascension of the chessmen podcast and after that conversation i threw in a little sneak peek preview of a new series of roundtable podcasts that both andre and i were a part of right after this conversation we went right from recording this and rolled right into this series of roundtable podcasts brought to you by andy rouse from the deep share podcast it's going to be called the witness and in this episode, we are talking about psychedelics. So we put the first 15 minutes in there. I asked Andy if he was cool with it. He was cool with it. Andy's a hell of a guy. So go over to the Deep Share podcast and subscribe and be sure to stay tuned for that episode, the full length episode of The Witness on Psychedelics. I think that was the fourth one. And none of them have even dropped yet, I guess. So that's real exciting. Stay tuned for that. I think it's coming out in December. But first and foremost, we got Andre Mighty as a guest here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Like I said, host of Ascension of the Chessmen podcast. Thank you for tuning in, folks. Enjoy this conversation with Andre Mighty. All right. And real quick, I just want to give a shout out to our three newest patrons. You all got spirit animal names ryan bledsoe you are the wise octopus and then you are the talking scorpion and orber the newest member of our kung fu fighter tier is the rhythmic camel shout out to you guys thank you for signing up to the patreon please feel free to join these fine folks on our patreon and you will get not only bonus content, not only the scene, not only early releases of every episode of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, but you will also get a spirit animal name. Right on, rock on, enjoy this episode. Peace. work and the healing process you know like rags to riches stories you know yeah definitely yeah a couple people reached out to me asking uh for his website to, uh so they can get oh, really? his ascension coaching which i think is cool Beautiful. 
we put that kind of intention out there, right? Like, how can we help others and also in a value for value way, you know? Most of and and we've we've met a couple people who do services like that. So it's like, I don't know. In my mind, something to consider. But how about how about we get going here, brother? Because I got a bunch of questions for you. I would. I was just going to say, super synchronistic, you had him on, because I just had a guy on last night, it was his first ever podcast, and he was telling me about his kundalini awakening Ooh. on an LSD experience, and the only guy that like didn't think he was crazy was the lead singer from Wookie Foot, one of my favorite bands that he reached out to, and he was like talking him off the ledge and like telling him what he was going through, and it was crazy because he had never heard the word kundalini before this experience so like it wasn't even like in his mind like that's that speaks to me like there's some credibility there and like there's definitely something going on absolutely yeah yeah for sure well let's jump right in because there's like so many questions that we can hit on and and i also want to give you an opportunity to share your story because you kindly had me on your podcast and I shared my story with you and I, I was listening to your conversation with Sam for the second time today and just getting a little refresher. So we don't have to rehash. I know you have the, the first couple episodes of your feed are, are like you breaking down your story. So by all means, if you want to give like footnotes and, and, and plug that and tell people to listen to the rest of it, or if you want to go into the whole story. It's up to you, but I have, I think we'll find as the conversation turns that we both have a lot in common, obviously. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. I mean, wherever it takes us, I mean, whatever I can remember from that, I thought about re-listening to that episode today. I think it was sad just to like remind myself of all those stories. Cause I haven't, it's been a year and a half probably since I've done ayahuasca. It was August of last year. Wow. So not this last August, but the August before, but okay. the lessons and insights are like still coming through, man. Like that's how it works, man. Like the medicine is so fucking powerful, man. As far as like the impact it can have on your life, once you start doing the work and like integrating the lessons learned and, you know, just coming at life in a new way with new eyes. And yeah, it's been, I'm super grateful, man. Yeah. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. And the man who you just heard is the host of the Ascension of the Chess Men podcast. He is someone that I met through my uh, job booking for Sam Tripoli. Andre met Sam at a uh, show in a very similar way to the way I met Sam. And uh, Sam was like, hey, we got to get this guy on. And you guys had a conversation. You and I have had a couple conversations since on and off the air. And dude, it's a pleasure having you here. For folks who haven't heard of uh, you before, please introduce us to to how you got into this. I mean, besides meeting uh, Sam Tripoli, when did this journey begin for you? What was the sort of, in your mind, what kind of kicked you onto this whole road? Man, it goes way back to probably my senior year of high school, I really started questioning things. I, there's a few documentaries that really started my journey back around 2010, 2011. Some of those would be the union, the business behind getting high, which totally 
you know, shook my world up and down about like how much we had been lied to about cannabis and hemp. After that, it was watching loose change, 9-11, getting into, you know, how much we'd been lied to about that whole event and the war on terror and all the endless wars we would have. Then it was zeitgeist getting into the Federal Reserve and, you know, that kind of breaks the spell from there. And then you just start, you know, going down all these rabbit holes and, it just kind of opened me up to there's so much more to life that I don't know about than I was taught about in school from my parents, from my upbringing. And I, I really just started this this journey just searching for more, man, and like trying to find answers to the questions that I never had the answers to that I was seeking. And no matter who I went to, whether it was my teachers, my pastors, my coaches, my parents, like I just started endlessly searching and, you know, many documentaries on YouTube after that. Another documentary I didn't mention was Ray Kurzweil's Transcendent Man, which is all about the transhumanist agenda from his point of view, like saying like, this is God's gift to earth and this is inevitable and this is good that man's going to merge with technology and all this. And that never really sat well with me, I guess, at that time. And so I was also raised in Catholic school, which I, it's kind of ironic because my brother uh, got in trouble when he was in junior high, stealing fireworks. And uh, at that point, my parents were like, well, we're going to send you guys to Catholic school to straighten you guys out, even though I had nothing to do with it. And it was my brother's doing, but you know, we kind of took different paths. Me and my brother, very different. He's now a chemical engineer, makes very good money. I like, you know, he went the usual route going through school. He was scared straight by this whole uh, fireworks ordeal. And you being the younger brother got caught up in the mix and you didn't even, you weren't even at the, at the heist. You didn't even steal the fireworks. (laughs) Oh man. It's ironic though, because it all came full circle because I ended up working for the biggest fireworks manufacturer in the Midwest. And I was surrounded by a lot of people that were stealing money. So I started stealing money and I was very close to, you know, getting put in jail for that. But luckily we got off clean and it was a major lesson learned at a very young age. I think I was 18 or 19 when that happened. And it really scared me straight at just the time I needed it Mm. and kept me, kept me on the straight and narrow as far as like, yeah, you don't rob people. Like there's karma to be paid for that. Right. And there's been many lessons learned in that avenue, but yeah, man. So my brother went the college route and I decided to drop out of school and I was kind of at a crossroads as far as like where I was going to go spiritually from here because I was aware of all the pedophilia within the Catholic church and I wanted nothing to do with that. And, you know, just all the things I, that were coming out of me, like just seeing things from a different perspective, as far as like, why are we worshiping a man on the cross, like this image of violence in the church? Why are we going to a middleman priest to like be forgiven of our sins and to get close to God? Like none of like, it just started like not making sense to me after I had just started questioning these things. So shortly after that, as I went to school and was out of high school, 
I was at a crossroads, like I said, of like, what do I do from here? I can either become an atheist or I can like still believe in God and like find the church that's right for me. At least that still was in my mind of like how you became close to God was like through church. Like I didn't know spirituality and religion were two different things at this point in my life. And uh, so I started going to this Pentecostal church, man. And I, I was going there for a steady two years. I was helping out in the back, like running the slideshow. Like I started playing drums at one point. And then I just got to the point where my pastor was like, yeah, I'd really like to have you start helping out even more. And like, I just felt like I wasn't ready for that yet. Like I was still smoking weed every day. Like I was you know, living in one of the biggest party neighborhoods in my college town I lived in. So we were throwing parties all the time. Like while I was still going to church, like hung over and like still stoned and shit. Like, you know, like I was living double lives and I was going to a Bible study as well with my pastor and we had became really close. We had a lot of similarities. He was a wrestler. I was a wrestler. He was a big weed smoker back in his younger days, which was the period I was going through in my life. And he had this experience on acid where this chessboard flew off the table and this one piece was left on the board. It was a white king. And he saw that as like a calling from God that like his life was meant for much more than living in a trap house and living this life of, you know, women, cars and drugs and money, you know, just that fast life lifestyle. And so he kind of set his life straight after that through this LSD experience. And, you know, that always stuck with me. And then, you know, I, I, I was asking him questions about, you know, giants in the Bible and the Nephilim and, you know, all these weird things you start getting into when you start questioning what's in the Bible. And he didn't have a lot of answers for me on those things. So I kind of was still learning and it wasn't until my buddies and I we had decided we were going to have an LSD experience together. And I had a lot of fear going into it, man. My first experience with LSD was in high school. And I actually had senior pictures the next day. And so my pupils were still huge the next day, like for my senior pictures. Like, so it's always kind of a funny memory to look back on when I go back to the parents and see my senior pictures. I'm like, yeah, I was doing acid the night before. But I, I, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, like when you first hear about LSD, you just think, oh, people are just tripping out. They're just having fun. They're going to a party and doing it. You know, they're not really doing it for like self-growth or spiritual evolution, stuff like that, you know, just using it for all the wrong reasons. And I didn't really get much out of that first time. I was kind of scared away from it for a while. Then I did mushrooms with a good friend of mine and we thought we were done tripping and we drove back still on mushrooms tripping and it was terrifying, like lucky to be alive after that night. And yeah, never drive on mushrooms. Definitely recommend never driving on mushrooms, but that was a lesson learned. And so that was a really dark experience. My first couple experiences with psychedelics, my buddy who I was tripping with, like we were out on the back porch, we were in this thunderstorm, it was pitch black, like it was like out of a horror movie, man. And he's just telling me about his dad that had committed suicide when he was a sophomore in high school. 
And I'm just like, God, like this could not have went any worse, you know? And I'm just thinking like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) And so, yeah, that's where it all started for me, man, was like those couple experiences. And then fast forward, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but fast forward to that LSD experience with my buddies that I was nervous to try the first couple experience I, the first couple experiences I had had. And this experience changed my life, man. I can honestly say that's, that's where my spiritual journey really began was this experience. I, I was very nervous at first and I had a couple of buddies that were kind of, you know, keeping my confidence up and saying, just breathe and surrender and you'll be all right, man. Like, what do you got to fear? Like, it's all an illusion. And they were right. And I remember it was just like simple things, man. Like we were, we were going for a walk around the neighborhood and we were all barefoot and I had my flip-flops on. And I was like, why do I need these flip-flops? Like, I mean, it's like this uh, image of comfort, I guess. Like, you know, it's like this mind trick we play on ourselves. Like we need shoes. So we're like walking down this back alley that's like white rock. And my buddy like convinces me, he's like, I mean, you don't need shoes. Like you can take them off. And so I did. And I just felt like I had to take off running, dude. So I just took off running and I felt like I used the analogy. If you've ever seen Forrest Gump when he's running and he's got those shekels around his legs because he can't walk properly and they just fall off because he's like broken free and he just never stops running after that. And uh, I just had that feeling of like breaking free out of my chains, man. Like, and yeah, my feet hurt the next day, but God, it was freeing in the moment, man. And yeah, other things that came to my realization on that experience was climbing up in a tree and, you know, feeling the, the leaves breathing and like communicating telepathically with the trees, like realizing we're all one and these are just giant plants magically sprouting out of the ground like it's just miraculous man the the paradigm shift you can have through these experiences and i look to my left and my buddies by the fire speaking in tongues shout out to my brother tut he's from south sudan he's speaking to his ancestors in different languages playing the fire and you know there's something about being by the fire of like it brings back that primitive nature of like, you know, old times and like getting back to your roots. And I definitely saw that. And I remember looking up at the sky and there's just these geometric patterns that encompass the whole skyline. And it was like this geometric dome or grid. And this was way before I had heard anything about the dome and flat earth. And I, I always thought that was beautiful, but I really didn't know what to make of it at the time. And uh, so that kind of, was the journey that got me started. And my buddy Tut, who I just mentioned, he got, he started to get me into meditation and, you know, these, these spiritual practices, my girlfriend who I'd met shortly after joy, she had got me into astrology and the deeper meanings within that. And I started connecting dots and I just started getting way more into spirituality versus like the doom and gloom of conspiracies, which can bog you down and like, strike a lot of fear in you, man. And that, that really was the beginning of me finding some balance within that, that path I was walking down of like, just trying to figure this life out. Mm. Wow. Yeah, man. I have, you know, so many parallels 
that came up there for me, you know, wrestling was a huge part of me becoming, you know, uh, more confident as a, you know, physical being in the world. You know, I think growing up as men, you get challenged, whether it's by your older brothers or by your peers in your community. And, you know, at that same time, when your physical body is going through these changes and, and growth, we explore these things that can have such a radical change on our minds. You know, I remember, you know, one experience I had when I was really young, you know, and, and this, I bring this up because of the conversation you had with Sam, where I kind of eavesdropped and, and figured this out that happened to you, where there was this distaste for alcohol at a young age, right? Like it yeah. kind of happened with me where my cousin Kyle was like, here, have a beer, you know? And, and I was only like 15. It was his cousin's wedding, you know? And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. But then sure enough, a couple years later, I was back into it and I was drinking and trying to drink and exploring it. And it definitely, you know, once cannabis came into the fray, it definitely lost all of its power, so to speak. Like it was kind of interesting at first when we were smoking like crappy blunts and didn't have really strong weed. But once I got interested more in smoking alone, that's when, you know, alcohol really, it became like, oh, one of one of these is enlightening me. The other one is disenlightening me or, or just like degrading me, you know, and it was fun. But at the same time, those, ex- those fun experiences you have, they, they don't lead anywhere. They don't, they're not constructive. I would say 9.5 times out of 10, you know, right. whereas cannabis can be extremely constructive. Would you agree with that? Was that true for you when you first started smoking weed? hundred percent, man. Yeah. I mean, the gateway drug for me was, well, I got a, I got a cigarette shoved in my mouth in like ninth grade, but I never caught on to smoking cigs. I mean, I've had a few stints in my early twenties where I smoked for like three months, but I never really picked it up as a a full-time habit. But, you know, I started drinking probably my sophomore year before I got into smoking weed. I mean, I had like one little hit off a pop can back in the early days, pre-legalization, you know, those were the, (laughs) those were the good old times when you'd make a makeshift pipe out of a pop can. But yeah, man, I started drinking alcohol and like thought it was cool when I was younger, you know, like you're fitting in because, you know, you're breaking the rules, you're being a rebel and, you know, just chugging beers or whatever. And I will say, man, like, it can be like a social lubricant with like one or two beers in the right sentence setting. But like, yeah, you're so right, man. Like as far as like what it does for you, like what does alcohol do for you? Like that's positive other than just being, it loosens you up a little bit and like makes you more talkative. Some could argue and, you know, leads to potential hangovers. If you have too many leads to you saying things you otherwise wouldn't say sober you know, there's plenty of angry drunks out there who get in fights or, you know, beat their wife or girlfriends. Like there's just so much damage done through alcohol. I mean, look at the native community, man. Like they've been ravaged from it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've slowly lost taste for alcohol every year that's passed in my life. Like I, I will say like cannabis definitely led me away from it for the most part, but you know, you still you're still surrounded by people that 
will still drink. So you get triggered and you'll have a beer or whatever. And it's just been a slow process for me. My girlfriend, she, she went into AA and she got completely sober. That's a story in and of itself after doing ayahuasca. And she kind of motivated me to really realize like alcohol really doesn't serve a purpose because I got to say, man, like my biggest excuse to drink was always uh, Nebraska football because here in Nebraska, like it's literally like a religion here. Like that's all we have. We don't have a pro sports team, you know? So like people like rally around that. And I will say it brings people together. So that would be like my excuse to drink on Saturdays. But like now that we suck and we're just not a good team, like it, it makes it even more depressing watching us lose every week. Cause it's like, now I'm just drinking because we lost even more. And yeah, it's just a downward spiral. You can go down with alcohol and yeah, I, I completely agree, man. Cannabis definitely is a much better drug than alcohol. I think alcohol is one of the worst drugs known to mankind, but it's just one of the most normalized. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned that like alienation that you guys feel not having a pro sports team in New England. We all kind of cheer behind, like, at least in Connecticut, we cheer behind like the Patriots, right? Cause it's like right. the regional team. And then, you know, for baseball, it's like the Yankees or the Red Sox, like this big feud, you know, if you live in Connecticut, <laughs> you either are Red Sox or Yankees and you have your, so you know, banner on the front porch and yeah, man, I mean, thank goodness this isn't a sports podcast, but I do, right. I do appreciate martial arts and wrestling, you know, that's, that's kind of my, my forte. And, and I definitely think that it in, ingrained me with this sort of mentality to stick with something, you know, and I can't say that I've stuck with everything, you know, I've definitely you know, failed at certain things and given up certain things. But I think wrestlers share a certain mentality that I don't, I don't think is as common in other, you know, set groups of people, especially set groups of athletes. I think wrestling in and of itself, you know, you are out on the mat and you're carrying your whole team with you, but none of them can help you in that moment. It's all on you to get that win and, you know, get that pin, you know, or else you're getting pinned. And then, you know, there's another win for the other team. Right. And then at the end of the match, everybody's score is counted against the others and, and the winners are the winners and the losers are the losers. But at the end of the day, you know, it's on you to get that win for your team. Otherwise your team might lose. Right. So I think that sets individuals apart. I mean, I see it a lot. Tara was mentioning, right? Remember you said that, what was it yesterday? Like a lot of guys that do these podcasts are martial artists. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think there's something to a martial arts, maybe in particular beyond wrestling that opens your mind up in a really spiritual way. And I think this time period that you and I grew up in, you know, you're a couple of years older than I, so I would say we're within the same generation and, sure. you know, UFC MMA was huge for our generation. I think more so than wrestling. I don't know WWE if that was more popular where you're at, but for my generation, like we got into wrestling in high school because of MMA, not because of like yeah. WWE. Everybody was hyped on the the latest UFC fight, you know, and 
that was kind of like part of why I got into it. And, and it was interesting because everybody would always be like, oh, you're so tall. You should go and do it professionally, you know? And, and that was never, it never felt like, <laughs> even though I kind of was okay, better at martial arts than some people who gave it as much time as I did. I just, I was like, I, for some reason, it wasn't vibing that that would be my future. And I think mm. where I'm getting at here is like cannabis in conjunction with martial arts kind of showed me this spirituality that I didn't find in Catholicism. Cause I like you to connect it one more time. I grew up in a, a Catholic kind of setting. We, we have like in new England, it's a very much like a weekenders mentality to religion. You know, you really just like only think about it on the weekends and show up at church, you know, regret, <laughs> regret your decisions on Saturday for Friday night. And then you make up for it on Sunday by going to church. That's kind of, in my opinion, what church is like around here. And I caught on to that kind of, uh, secularness of it. And I felt like, well, if you guys are just like, just going along with it just because then I'm not going to do that. I've always been the type of person that if, for whatever reason, never fit in anyways. So I didn't really like to fit in, in that situation. And it did kind of make me an atheist at first. And it was interesting to hear that, you know, you kind of were at that crossroads of like, well, where should I go from here? And you're, you know, intrepid enough to go into this Pentecostal church. I'm wondering, cause you, you said that you didn't really see the difference between religion and spirituality. Did your use of LSD and mushrooms, did it still not dawn on you then? When did spirituality like kind of come into the fray for you? Dude, it was, it was that LSD experience I was describing. Like mm. it wasn't the first one. It wasn't the mushroom experience that went terribly. Right. Like I, said, I, I didn't do them for quite a while after that. I was scared away and, you know, I grew the courage to finally do this experience. Right. Mainly inspired by my pastor because, you know, after he had described that experience to me, because, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy, man, I've, I've been offered Coke a million times. I've been, I've never been offered heroin or meth, but I always made a promise to myself. I was never gonna do any of those things. I, I was going to stay away from the hard drugs, even pills. Like I've done a couple pills in my life, but like never gotten to the pill scene either. I was always, you know, natural plant medicines, cannabis, you know, mushrooms and all that stuff. And so for me, man, it was that LSD experience that made me realize like I was seeking something outside of myself to like connect to God when that is already within me, man, that's within you, that's within you. Like it's within all of us. And, you know, it's, it's this gatekeeping mentality where we're kept from ourselves and we're like kept in a cage of like who we think we are versus what we actually are. And, you know, it, it was that realization that came to me through that Lucy experience. And, uh, yeah, from then on, I just, I quit going to church and I had, cause I had got my parents to come to this church with me. Like I, I was like, you guys got to come. And then they started coming every week with me. And then I had to tell them like, listen, like I had this experience and I no longer want to go to church anymore and it's nothing personal, but I just, I don't feel I need it anymore to connect to God and pray to God, you know, be close to God, however you want to define God, you know, call it source, creator, you know, mother. I mean, there's so many um, things you can put on what God is. I think 
just us giving it a name is like, you know, not doing it justice. You know, it's like, it's like, just pause for a second. That's God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're bringing to mind a book that was sent by a publisher I reached out to. It's called um, LSD in the Mind and the Universe. And I'm not going to give the author's name because he refused our interview when we reached out to him, which is weird because his publisher sent us the, the book, but he's, wow. they are nice enough to send the book, which I did take a look at, but you're bringing that this whole concept to mind. And my question to you is you mentioned natural plant medicines. What are your thoughts on uh, the origin of LSD and, and its initial yeah. use, you know, cause I've talked to people on the show who say it's like totally CIA and, and that's right. why they put it out during the sixties to create this like, you know, movement that eventually developed into maybe some of the, I guess what some people are calling Marxist stuff today. Right. You know, I prefer to call it communist mostly because my name is Mark, but yeah, right. either way, <laughs> yeah, we got, dude. we, we oh, got wow. some weird connections there. I mean, what are your thoughts? Cause I too have had some really incredible experiences with acid. So, you know, in hindsight, maybe I, I will never do it again just because, yeah. you know, the, the state of the world today and maybe the, the access to the chemistry equipment i mean to be honest right. i feel like it's kind of weird to say you'd trust the cia stuff more but you know i i'd trust old acid more than i would trust the what they got going right. around today i mean with some of the crazy new like research drugs and whatnot but but yeah it's it is kind of uh interesting because it comes from a fungus comes from ergot but it doesn't quite right. not quite natural like the other plant medicines what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think there's there's definitely a gray area there with LSD and like the history of it and the CIA connections and the MK Ultra. I mean, I, I think it's definitely the basis of the show for Stranger Things. Like, you know, there's I think it's all about perception, man, and your your experiences. Because like we can sit here and talk all day about like, you know, what someone else experienced with it or how because when it boils down to it, man, like you can use anything for negative purposes and it's all about the intentions you bring to it and like how it's being used. Cause at the end of the day, it's just a tool, you know? And it's like in those experience, in those experiments, like, yeah, that's fucking horrifying. Like I would never want to be drugged. I would never want to be subjected to something without my consent. Like you have to be informed no matter what you're getting yourself into, no matter what drug you're taking, I would definitely recommend testing any drug you ever consume, especially if you're uh, messing around with pills, like with the fentanyl stuff going on. Like, yeah, definitely always know what you're taking. Like, and that's, that's what always scared me away from cocaine, man, was I never knew what it would be laced with. For all I knew, I could have been snorting baking powder, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think that's huge is just doing, doing the research first, knowing what you're taking part in, knowing who you're surrounding yourself with. I mean, I've talked to people who've had bad LSD experiences and like, they thought like they were with an undercover cop or something fishy like that. And it's like set and setting is so important, man. Like you never want to be in a place where you're surrounded with people like 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure about that guy or that woman over there. Like, but yet you've already you've already ingested this substance, and your whole life's going to change for the next however many hours from this experience. So you better choose wisely who you're surrounding yourself with because you already know, man. Like, energy is so fucking powerful, and when you're on psychedelics, like, energy is like taken up a million notches, like. Every our energy is even more sensitive than it is sober. So I think, you know, just doing the research, like, don't just like, if someone, if someone comes up to you randomly and they're like, you want some acid? I got some in my pocket. They say it's really good shit. Like probably don't trust that guy that you don't know if he's a complete stranger. And even if you know them, like I would still recommend getting it tested because like you said, man, there is a lot of fishy history out there with LSD and the experiments. There's that side, but there's also like these test chemicals and these synthetic LSDs out there that aren't actually what they're advertised as. And, you know, I've definitely had some bunk stuff in my day that didn't work at all, but I've also had some really good stuff. And I've learned over the years that you have to test your stuff, man. Like that's so crucial. And just being responsible like being a responsible user with whatever you're taking part in, even with cannabis, man, like there's, there's like pesticides that can be sprayed on it. Like, you know, there's the whole GMO argument, you know, God, there's so much stuff. Oh, I mean, and let's get into that a little bit because I, you know, I had about, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, but, and it's usually around the winter months. I hit this point where like weed, it could be like a THC overload, you know, and I just like can't get high anymore. I got to take a break, which I usually do and I'm fine. But there were these times and it, where I would smoke weed that had like a particular taste that was just very off-putting and other people yeah. didn't notice it. I mean, I, I even pissed off some people that I was, uh, you know, receiving it from because they would, they didn't like my complaints. And I'm like, well, I mean, if, if this stuff's bad, this stuff's bad. It's not my fault, you know? So it's definitely one of those things when you're, you know, it's legal now in my state. So I feel more comfortable right. even talking about it. But in the, in the first place, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, you can't really get a lot of honest answers, you know, the guy I buy from, I've known for many years. So there is a established trust there, but if I synchronistically was just going through life and, and tried to live my life that in that synchronistic way, I might, you know, invite someone new into my life who then offers me something. And you're right. You still should be very cautious. I mean, you know, we talk about synchronicity a lot and I think that's something that we, we need to be careful of because in this spiritual realm, there's a term that I've heard some comedy podcasts call evil hippies. And <laughs> I, I like this term because it's like, you know, there is this group of people who they're very like nihilistic with their use of psychedelics. And I think they more often than not, like they're in those fringe realms and there's a lot of good people in fringe realms, but then there's a lot of people who hide, you know, their criminal ways and their uh, non-ethical right. ways in those realms as well. So maybe I'm going a little off track from my question, but 
I'm going to serve that over to you and see where you. Yeah, man, that definitely brought something up for me. Like, so what, what had happened for me, like, as far as like changing my whole perspective on what psychedelics are and, you know, how we should come to them with respect and, you know, use them more wisely and with, you know, just more intention based and, you know, ceremonially, you know, the sentence setting is super key, but like. For me, man, like my girlfriend at the time, Joy, had went down and drank ayahuasca. She just randomly told me one day, she's like, yeah, I'm going to this ayahuasca retreat. And I was like, wait, what? Like, are you sure? Like, where at? In the Amazon? I was like, she's like, no, uh, it's in Orlando, Florida. It's called Soul Quest. And I was like, no way. Like, there's a ayahuasca church here in the States. Like, I had no idea. And she's like, yeah. So she went down and she had, after she had came back, like she just had this like, you know, glow about her. Like, you know, she was just like full of this newfound love, loving energy, I guess you could call it. And uh, she had gotten off Adderall months to follow this, then had gotten off alcohol. She's now an AA and doing really well with sobriety. And she had convinced me to go drink ayahuasca with her for the second time, which would have been my first time. And up until this point, man, I didn't know I was using psychedelics wrong my entire life. Even, even the good experiences I had had because I didn't know what I was doing. Like, and that's the thing, because these things are illegal, that's why we don't know what we're doing in the first place. And that's where the fear comes in. Like, why do you think we're so paranoid when we smoke weed? It's because of the endless amount of years of weed being illegal for something that's harmless. Like, you know, it's all about the respect you bring to it and how you're using it. You know, yeah, it can, it can make you lazy and like, you know, there's harmful things it can do in certain ways, but is that really harmful? Like it's all in the eye of the beholder. And uh, so it wasn't until after I did ayahuasca and realized like, you know, this is, this is where it's at. Like, this is real work being done here. This is, very serious healing work. Like this isn't like, I'm just going to go to a music festival, trip out. And like, after like being in that community and like seeing the healing work going on in these ceremonies and since going back again to drink the medicine again, and again, going back to volunteer in a ceremony and hold space for those that are partaking in this completely sober and still feeling that healing within a sober state of being like not even drinking the medicine and still like feeling the healing going on. Like that's how deep it goes, man. And to like come back and to go to a music festival and to take some mushrooms, for example, and to see all these hippies all around me that are, you know, tripping their balls off. And I'm just, I, I just had this rev revelation come across to me. Like, are these people really using these things for the right reasons or are a lot of these people like pretending to be something because they like the image it, it gives off, you know, like I'm going to wear my tie dye. I'm going to wear, you know, my crystals and, you know, my beads and all this stuff. And like, people are going to portray me a certain way, but it's not about all that, man. It's about the work you're doing in your everyday life. Like what kind of kindness are you giving off to your fellow human beings? Like, are you showing up? day to day in your life, just trying to better yourself, being self-disciplined, like 
you know, catching yourself and these triggers from our childhood traumas and, you know, how we respond to people with anger versus love and like all these different things, man, like that's the real work. Like that is the work, man. That's the great work everyone's talking about. And it wasn't until I did ayahuasca, or I don't even say I did ayahuasca. It wasn't until I came with respect to ayahuasca that my mind had changed about what I was doing and how important this work is and how much respect you have to come to with these things. Otherwise, like you're in for it, man. Like good luck to you because you're going to have a tough journey, whether you're doing mushrooms, whether you're doing LSD, whether you're doing ayahuasca or peyote or any plant medicine, because the medicine is going to give you what you put in. So with the right preparation, with the right, um, you know, practices beforehand, like being conscious of what you're consuming, not just what you're eating, but what you're taking in mentally, uh, physically, like everything, man, like whether you're watching the news or reading self-help books, like all that stuff plays a role in how your journey is going to take place as well as where your journey is taking place. Who's, who are you surrounded with? Like you got to factor all these things in before you commit to something like that. And for me, man, like ayahuasca was like the kick in the nuts I needed to like realize my true potential and like how I was like not living up to it. And that's literally what started me on this journey to try stand up comedy the first time, to start my podcast, to reach out to Sam about coming on zero. Like I just had this newfound confidence, man, thanks to ayahuasca. And People say like, oh, ayahuasca did that for you. It's, it's like, okay, yes, I had to do the work, but without ayahuasca, I wouldn't have done that, man. I can honestly say that. Wow. I love that, man. And I love the point that you make because it reminds me of the real relationship that's been established with these plant medicines for thousands of years, the indigenous yeah. cultures that you gave respect to, I think very thoroughly and by making that clarification too that you know you're not doing ayahuasca you know right. you're meeting ayahuasca and i think that's something that was conveyed to me when i met someone who i've spoken about many times on this show who taught me a lot about the plant medicines i was using and have used my whole life you know cannabis and tobacco and you mentioned before we started the show that you had a, like a snuff version of tobacco you just partake yeah. had partaken in. And I thought that was really cool because for me, you know, a lot of people might think, oh, tobacco, that's, that'll give you cancer. That's terrible. That's bad. But people always, uh, you know, forget that these cigarette companies put all of these toxic chemicals inside of cigarettes, not to mention it's probably GMO tobacco in the first place. You know, and, and in light of all the stuff we talk about, Tara and I talk about this and we've talked about it on the show a couple of times, inversion, you know, they take this thing that was a sacred plant here in the North American area, South America, Central America, this plant was sacred. And when the colonialists came here, they, you know, sometime after, you know, they completely abused and, and destroyed the land, killed the buffalo and so on. You know, they take this plant and poison it and, and give it to people. I think it's just, it's a sad, you know, reminder of what it used to be and how powerful the plant is, you know? 
now it it's reversed. It, it kills. But, you know, I've always had a, a really strong relationship with tobacco in spite of that. And, and yeah, man, doing LSD, probably the, the most memorable time was a time where I lit a candle and I was living, I was like, I mean, virtually homeless at that time. I was living on a couch in a frat house. So it's funny you mentioned that towards the beginning, this like party life you lived in. And I dropped out of school too. You know, that was part of, you know, my experience. I dropped out of college and, and I luckily had some friends from high school who invited me to be a part of this like pseudo frat that they had going on. And it was kind of underground because it wasn't associated with the college, but everybody in it was in college, so to speak, but they allowed members like me who were dropped out or, or just, you know, working. And so it was a, a really a safe place to engage in this kind of thing. Cause there weren't any like crazy parental forces that were gonna, you know, drop the hammer on us for right. doing stuff. But it was also a little reckless and careless as it should be with, you know, four or five men living in a place, you know, between the ages of 18. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I only give that kind of scenario with the setting because amidst that chaos, I had an opportunity to get some really clean acid. And instead of like doing it at a party or doing it with other people, I woke up one morning, I went down to the basement where it was like pitch black. I lit a candle. I put my yoga mat out. I took the acid. I got into my center really deep. And then I walked up to this mountain called West Rock Mountain. And in New Haven, there are two mountains, West Rock and East Rock. And on top of West Rock is this place that I only found out recently is a sacred, you know, stone site for the indigenous people who used to live here. I mean, in colonial areas, I'm sure you probably see this too out in Nebraska, like a whole lot has changed for the Native Americans here in Connecticut. You can barely tell they were ever in New Haven, you know, and uh, now this place is memorized for harboring these English kings who like, or judges who, who participated in killing Charles the first, they're called like the regiciders and they came and hid in colonial Connecticut at this sacred indigenous site. But I, I did acid and ended up there, spent the whole day on this mountain and you know, it, it was awesome. I connected in a way with so many different things, you know, and, and, and even like wanting to talk about it, I, I'm kind of hesitating because there were certain things that I think shouldn't be talked about on a podcast because they're part of my like spiritual story. But I share that because I, I think it's important to give people the impression of like, you got to take it seriously and you got to have strength and intention and, and do something that feels right to you. And it's so funny because at that time, I didn't realize how sacred that stone site was. But now learning about all of these different things in Connecticut, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's why I'm interested in all this stuff even more so now, because I ended up there, you know, and, and I, I think set and setting, you know, to emphasize your point is absolutely so important. Huge, man. Yeah. I mean. Because these are, these are powerful tools, man, and these will blow the doors of perception wide open. And they open your mind to new possibilities and, you know, new, new thought patterns and just new ways of looking at the world. Like, 
that first LSD experience for me, man, like made me realize that we are all one, like we are all one organism, like divided up, like into separate organisms, but we're all of the same source. Like some people call God source, but like I had that revelation, like come through my whole being and like, just to realize that, like you realize that there's no reason to hate your neighbor because they're, they're a different political party. They're a different race, their sexuality. Like there's all these different things that divide us, man. And I had no reason to like pick a team anymore. And like it, and yeah, I can see how that can be like a communist ideal too. And like, yeah, you got to be careful and toe the line with that and still keep your sanity and like realize like, yeah, we all, we all fall short sometimes. And like, yeah, we all have our weaknesses and, you know, it's, it's kind of like just not getting lost in the weeds of like not seeing somebody as other than human because like someone like Hitler, for example, like Hitler was this, you know, demoness, like just terrible human being uh, or terrible monster. We make him out to be, but we forget that he was a human being just like all of us. So we forget that, that the, the worst parts of Hitler, there's a little bit of that within every one of us. And that makes us relate to how, how bad it can get off the rails. If like, we don't keep our egos in check. And like, we don't like realize like, you know, we're all friends here. Like we're all just trying to get along. We're all just trying to live and let live. And if we could all live by that motto, like, I think the world would be a lot better place. And it, you know, gives us motivation to show up and be the best human we can be every day we wake up and realize like, oh, maybe yesterday didn't go how I had planned, but you know, today's a new opportunity to, you know, pick up where I left off and keep growing from where I went wrong yesterday, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I definitely think, you know, to your point, it's, it's something that every individual has to choose to do. And, and it's, you know, something that you need to take very seriously. And I think in today's culture, again, there's the inversion, you know, where it's like drugs are just promoted. Now, when I go and buy like some backwoods to roll up a blunt, there's like kids younger than me in front of me buying these, you know, plastic vape sticks, you know, and it's just like, here we go again, another generation of, you know, people stuck on nicotine, you know, and that's all it is, is just that nicotine and bringing people back and I wonder if you think the same thing has happened in the community of, of people using ayahuasca, because you mentioned soul quest. I mean, that doesn't sound, uh, like an, uh, indigenous tribe or anything, but do you think that, that you can still find a genuine connection within that, um, let's say commercialized version of it, or, or do you think there's more power when you actually go to, let's say, Brazil or somewhere where this plant medicine could have been actually growing. Do you think that has an effect at all? Yeah. I mean, I think there's two sides to that, man. Like, am I for like ayahuasca Walmarts being in every state? Like, definitely not. Right. And like, you know, we can pick apart like the pros and cons of what SoulQuest is doing down in Florida. And, uh, you know, some say like they're, 
they're getting too big and they have way too many people in ceremonies, but I've been down there. I've experienced it. I've been down there three different times, volunteering and partaking in the ceremony, drinking the medicine. And I still am yet to go to the Amazon and I was limited financially, which is why I chose to go to SoulQuest to sit with the medicine for the first time. And, you know, for some people like that, that gives them a sense of comfort, I guess, or like makes them feel safer if like they're here in the States and, you know, have the, the common courtesies we have, like you still got a Starbucks close by or like, you know, you got a running shower and bathrooms and, you know, just the, all the, you know, things we take for granted in our culture here in America. And like you have all that still, but yet you still get the genuine experience of ayahuasca because no matter where you're taking ayahuasca, you're still getting that experience. And it's all about the experience. But I, I would also say like, they definitely fly in uh, shamans from Peru and various places throughout South America for, for their ceremonies to, you know, do it traditionally. It's not like it's just a self-appointed and uh, like leading ceremony, like they're bringing people in that know what they're doing and have done this for many generations. And they're part of a lineage you know, shamans that, you know, this is the work they do. Like they're uh, medicine women or medicine men, like this is what they do. And I will say like, they also have a paramedic on staff. If something were to happen, which if you go down to the Amazon, you, a lot of times you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You don't know if a paramedic's going to be there. If you were to have a reaction to it, because, um, what they preach at soul quest is you know, if you lie, you die. So basically what that means is like, if you don't answer the, the questionnaire before you go accurately and honest, like you could die because, you know, say like you're on antidepressants, like the medicine can react to those and you can go into cardiac arrest and have a stroke or even a heart attack and, you know, die. And that's very possible. And, you know, so they're, they're, they're going through every measure to make sure that you're in a safe space, you are taken care of. They have many volunteers that are some of the nicest people I've ever met and, you know, willing to answer any questions you have, you know, give you the love you need. But also the whole point of the ceremony is to stay in your own space and not bother others, not distract others even though you're tempted to, because, you know, that's your ego trying to take over and go outside of yourself versus stay within and connect with your higher self and uh, just stay connected within yourself because you're given an eye mask and earplugs and you have your own little mat and everyone's on their mat. And yeah, you hear people throwing up around you. You hear people yelling, screaming, you know, saying all, all sorts of things, but they really emphasize like, keeping it as quiet as possible, not to disturb others. Like they do a really good job. And yeah, there's definitely more underground, smaller ceremonies all over the country. And if you meet the right people or, you know, cross paths with the right people, whatever, but that's definitely a thing too. But I've also talked to people that have had many journeys down to the Amazon who say like, you know, it's second to none and you got to go again. Like if you don't have the funds to get there, like how long are you going to wait to go? You know? And uh, I know it's in the cards for me to go down to the Amazon someday, but 
until I can save up the, the right money to get there and find the right retreat I trust. I mean, there's many retreats I feel called to go to and I've heard great reports from, but you definitely got to do your research as far as finding the right one, reading the reviews, talking to people that have went there to hear their experience, to make sure that you trust what you're getting yourself into. Because number one, it's not cheap. I mean, you're looking at $2,000 to $5,000 for, you know, a five to 10 day retreat down in the Amazon. But if you find the right retreat, you can have a life-changing experience that could definitely change your life. And it's a whole different setting. I mean, you're, you're taking in the jungle energy and you're getting all the, the, my, my buddy that one was telling me, like during the daytime, like you hear all the, the creatures of the day. And it's like, it's just like a whole energy, just the daytime creatures that are uh, making all this noise during the day. And then the nighttime, it's like a whole different energy. And you, you have all the night creatures that come out and you're hearing every little thing, man. And he just said it was completely different than going to Soul Quest and was such a powerful experience. It was a much more intimate, smaller setting. I think it was like, there was like three people in ceremony versus like 60 to 80 at a place like Soul Quest. And I, I think you can, you can pick apart both, both, both ways of going about trying ayahuasca for the first time, as far as going down to the Amazon, you know, you hear a lot of horror stories too, of, you know, women getting raped, uh, women getting drugged, you know, people getting murdered. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. And I think a lot of that stuff that goes on is like the news picks up those stories to keep people away and keep them scared of ever, you know, crossing paths with ayahuasca. And I think that's slowly changing, but, and I'm not excusing that behavior. That's, that's terrible. And I would never condone that. And I think there's a lot of medicine men out there. I wouldn't say a lot, but there is some that are out there for the money and, you know, they, they're more greedy and have not the best of intentions. And so you got to be careful. I mean, like anything, do, do your due diligence and do the research before you sign up for anything like that. I mean, when you're going to any foreign land, you want to make sure where you're going, you know, who you're surrounded with. And this is if you're sober, man. Like if you're just traveling to another country, like you want to make sure that you're not going to get murdered or, you know, have something bad happen. You like, you want to always be prepared. And so I would definitely recommend like doing your research and listening to your intuition as well. Like, does it feel right? Does um, like trusting your gut, like, and knowing that like, it's all working out. Like you talk a lot about synchronicities, like you'll see the signs if it's right. And you also see the signs if it's not right, you know? Yeah, right on, man. I definitely, it brings to mind, you know, one thing though, and I, I think you just gave a great case for all of the above. I think uh, SoulQuest should be proud of you if they were, if they did hire you as a spokesperson, which I know they haven't. But peyote, man, I'm wondering where that fits into the equation because I, I hear so much about ayahuasca you know, and that seems like we, we touched on to be from the Amazon jungle, very like kind of a jungle vibe, but you out there in Nebraska, I don't know. I feel like peyote might be more in resonance with like your local area. Cause, and, and 
I should explain why I think this way, because when I was reading, well, a combination of books, one by Michael Harner, one by Carlos Castaneda, and then this other book by Neville Drury, and Neville Drury kind of talks a little bit about both books in his book about psychedelics. And he mentions how different shamans from different parts of the world have different plants that resonate with them. And that always stuck with me. And that's partly why I've always liked cannabis or cannabis. I've always loved cannabis, but tobacco so much because it's kind of a Connecticut crop. You know, there's a type of tobacco called Connecticut long tobacco. So it, it does kind of resonate with this local landscape. So I'm curious if you've had that come across your synchronicity desk, so to speak, peyote at all. Yeah, man, I, I, I unfortunately have yet to take part in a peyote ceremony. I've done my fair share of sweat lodges here in my local community. And lately I definitely haven't been going as much as I'd like to. And I feel like with something like peyote, you have to gain the respect of the elders and the natives in which, you know, you're, you know, helping out, like you, you have to basically like earn their respect. As I said, like whether it's, you know, coming very regularly, every, every sweat and helping bring the stones in, you know, just being a helper in their community. And yeah, I mean, I have great respect for the elders whom I've had the privilege to sweat with and share ceremony with. And I've had friends that I've met through those circles that have gotten the privilege to sit with peyote. And I was very open to hearing about their experiences. And I, I would love to have the opportunity someday, but unfortunately up to this point, I have not, but I definitely plan to journey with peyote in the future if it comes across my path, but I definitely see it happening. It just hasn't happened yet, but I, like I said, I, it's probably been like four, three, four months since I've been to a sweat and, uh, I've just been super busy and it hasn't fit in my schedule, but I definitely plan on going back very soon and continuing to sweat. I've just been so overwhelmed with everything going in my life right now with work and all these new podcast opportunities and uh, multiple different jobs. Like it's just been overwhelming at times, man, but. Yeah, I definitely plan on journeying someday with Peyote. Right on. And I should congratulate you on the new job. That's really awesome, man. And speaking of podcasting, you've been doing your podcast for a couple months now, right? I think, what is it? Almost a year old now, right? Or, or. Yeah. So yeah, it's about a year old. Well, I, I really started taking it seriously in June. Okay. You were one of my first guests. And uh, that's when it just like clicked for me, like I need to just start booking guests and start making this a priority. And I have no other option but to hit record and I have this guest already scheduled. So we're, we're doing this thing. And ever since, man, it's just been a continuous flow of usually two episodes a week at minimum. So right on. Have there any, uh, have there been any interviews that particularly stand out anybody that you learned something new from that you hadn't heard before starting the man that's so hard. that's such a hard question i mean i've i've loved almost every episode i love them all i shouldn't say almost all 
But no, I really enjoyed ours, man. I enjoyed Chances recently. I really love that dude. That was mine and Chances interview we did was just straight flow state from start to finish. And it's just kind of a sign for me of like how much progress I've made as far as like just getting used to this and getting in the flow of conversation and not trying to force things and like, you know, just be like eyeballing my notes the whole time or, you know, you know, just being so hard on myself. But yeah, I, I would say, uh, Lindsay Schwarman was a pleasure to talk to. I really enjoyed that one. I really don't want to pick anybody out because I really have genuinely enjoyed every one of them. I mean, there's one guest I won't name that I feel like didn't necessarily bring his A game. And I felt like was kind of disrespectful as far as not taking my show very seriously. And that's, that's okay. Like not every episode is going to go as planned and you're going to have that happen sometimes. I'm sure you've experienced that too, or guests not showing up. So it's, it's a process of living and learning and growing with every episode and, you know, learning new tools and, you know, just different things. Yeah. Right on. And all the people you mentioned have been on this show. I'm much love to Chance and Lindsay for sure. Yeah, man, I, I definitely feel like maybe I shouldn't ask that question anymore because I realize how much I put you on the spot there because you're right. No, you don't want to single anyone interview out because they all have their own unique, their own unique qualities. And But I guess where I was really going with it, maybe I should rephrase it as like if there was any new information that came up since doing the podcast that really blew you away because i can say you know there's definitely been some big moments on this show that you know opened my eyes to to things but i think what's interesting about podcasting is we can kind of as hosts set the table a certain way you know like i i know kind of what we were going to talk about but then when that flow state comes in like you mentioned with chance it really makes way for this kind of unfolding at a faster pace than you really could plan for, you know? Has that been true to your experience? Most definitely, man. And as you were saying that, it kind of brought up, I had a recent episode with Andreas Zertis, Exertus, and, you know, I, I had planned to do the usual route, like everyone else that's had him on and just talk straight Tartaria. We didn't hardly talk Tartaria at all. And uh, we had a great conversation. I saw so many things from different perspectives as far as like the Jesuits and talking about gene therapy and human cloning and all these things that are very taboo. And I kind of had a new respect for, I guess, not to say I buy into them wholeheartedly, but like, I guess it like took my narrow perspective and uh, widened it a bit as far as like making me realize like there's so much more to learn than I currently have at my disposal. And he, he opened my mind quite a bit on a number of different things. So I'd highly recommend listening to Lob one for anyone out there. Like I, it was one of those shows where like you had it planned to go a certain way and it didn't go any way you had planned but it turned out amazing. And so I really enjoyed talking with him and just having it be a surprise as far as what we were going to talk about mm. where it went. Yeah. Andreas is, is definitely full of information. I like, I liked our conversations for sure. 
Tara, I'm looking over to you. What are your What are your thoughts so far? Um, what 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 was it like for you before you started your podcast? Because as someone who doesn't really talk very much or isn't a great conversationalist, I've I recognize the power of communication, especially. Yeah dating mark and 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 just connecting with other people in general and i i haven't really i'm just gonna unload now i guess on you but i haven't i haven't um done too much research on on conspiracies or anything in particular just because my like i just haven't i've just kind of always been on the go 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 and like in either behind a counter at a coffee shop talking to people like that or listening to Palladian channelings or or watching spirit science YouTube videos. So I'm my horizons are very I'm spirit science, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So so I just kind of have that in my mind and then just my personal experience and and recently, like within the past few months, I've really kind of realized how much I haven't taken responsibility for myself in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've looked to everything else outside of me to take responsibility for me or got lost in like fantasies I created. And so even to my relationship with spirit, I'm realizing now has been a little, has lacked the respect factor. And, and so I'm really missing a community and speaking. And so I've, I've come up with like seven different podcast names and ideas, but they, none has stuck yet. So, but it's, it's something that I would, I would like to do to just connect with people in general and be able to have better conversations and have a community in my life. So long story short now, were you, can you relate to that at all before you started your podcast? Like as, as far, far as conversations goes and being able to communicate well with other people and not dump all over them? Yeah. Yeah. For me, for many years, you know, I've, I've been listening to podcasts for probably 10 years, you know. I think Joe Rogan was the catalyst. I go on way back. I love deep inside the rabbit hole with Dave Weiss, who's the huge flat earth guy now and Tim Rothschild and Mike Cannon. It's no longer a podcast, but that was one of my first favorites. For me, for many years, I was like telling my friends like, hey guys, let's start a podcast. And like, I had like a like-minded group of friends that, you know, were into these more taboo subjects, like psychedelics, conspiracies, spirituality, all this stuff. And, you know, it was, it was always like one thing after the other, like one guy couldn't make it when we said we were going to meet up or, you know, trying to make it work with a group of people is usually tough if you're not on the same page, whether it was, we couldn't agree on a name, like it was just one thing after the other. And, um, yeah, I mean, so for a very long time, I was waiting for someone to do it with me versus just taking it upon myself to just get started. And up until that point, I was making every excuse in the book. Like I don't have the right tools. I don't have the recording equipment. Like I don't have the knowledge of how to edit. 
Like I was making every excuse why I wasn't ready yet. But honestly, at the end of the day, those are all just excuses. And those are just, you know, our, us playing the victim, like feeling sorry for ourselves of why we can't accomplish what we dream we can accomplish. Like anything is possible. And I fully believe like anyone out there can start a podcast, like just find what you're passionate about. Like whatever you find yourself reading about the most, looking into the most, listening to the most, like that's probably what you're most passionate about and what you should be talking about on your podcast. And that's, that would be my advice is just to find, find what you're passionate about and put that into whatever podcast you want to create and start. And, you know, you can create a name based off of that. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight as far as like, you know, feeling comfortable behind the mic, like best believe, like I was super nervous before my first podcast appearance was, which was nothing huge. It was, it was the local float tank in my city here in Lincoln. They invited me on to talk about my ayahuasca retreat. And for me, it was like a huge deal. Like I'm going on a podcast, like this is fucking awesome. And yeah, I just uh, halfway through the recording, I forgot we were even recording. I was like, we're just having a conversation. And I think you'll, you'll come to that realization too. Like, no, you're just having a conversation. You're just opening the conversation up to the rest of the world to listen in on it. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. So much resonated there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of that sounds a little familiar, but you said it much better than I could have. And, and no, and, and that, that's very true to, to my experience as well. I mean, people who have listened to the show since day one know that I had like three or four friends that I had started this show with who no longer do it. Not all, uh, you know, Mikey and Chris, they still want to do it. I just, you know, don't talk to them as much as I used to. And I would still like to have them on the show if they are listening. Shout out to Mikey and Chris. You guys are always welcome. But, you know, unfortunately, Jay and I had a falling out. And I think that's just what happens when you do things in groups. And that's why I've been kind of like a little more hands off with Tara, like, because I don't want to force her into it. You know, like you, you said it very well, like, what she's going to get good at talking about or what she's going to enjoy talking about is going to accelerate that confidence. And then pretty soon she'll be doing it. You know, on her, I, I tell her all the time, I'm like, pretty soon you're going to be doing it. You're going to be bigger than me, you know, like that. And then you're going to like not even want to have time for my podcast, you know? And so like, I'm, I'm trying to encourage her. And I think, you know, Dude, it's, it's, it's awesome to hear the same in, in what you said. Dude, it's like at the end of the day, we're all human beings here. Like me and you are nothing special. Right. We just took it upon ourselves to like, thank you. Oh, yeah. We should, maybe we'd be good at this. And like, you know, me and you both listen to podcasts for how many years before we realize like, oh, we can do this too. Yeah. And like, we're inspiring other people to like take it upon themselves right now. to do the same. Yeah. People, yeah. that's why I always say in the now, because, you know, when I was a listener, you know, those podcasts I was listening to weren't live, you know, I just found them synchronistically. They were the right combination of podcasts for me to get me to this point. I really think there's some magic there. Just like pulling a tarot card out of a deck, you could pull a podcast out of a podcast player and totally change your life and, and really get into the groove of it too. So if, if folks are listening to it 
now in this now and listening to our conversation thank you for being here and and we hope you start your own podcast and that's why i started alt media united because you know booking for sam i heard that over and over and then you know host of the skeptical podcast alex sakaris kind of had that same uh notion with me like oh you'd probably be good at this so we started this cooperative and and all it's really done so far is is created you know a bunch of really awesome friendships and conversations and and networking opportunities we'll call them but also a website where people can have their content and maybe people can who listen to podcasts can find new content but lately what's awesome is i've been hearing a lot more from people who are saying exactly what you just said it's like i'm wanting to start my own podcast and i'm realizing that it's not that hard. And then, you know, to your point, you just got to do it ends up being the advice I give people all the time. You know, you just got to do it, record three episodes. Don't worry about the name until you really get into the groove. The name will come to you, but record something. And I always tell people record, you know, record a couple things and then publish it. But I'm starting to feel like the best thing to do is just record it and publish it because then you're like even more like stuck to it you know like you really got to commit because consistency is key with anything in life but in podcasting i think you know like you said you put out two episodes a week i've been putting out two episodes a week since i think june and and ever since we've been putting two episodes out a week we've seen the show grow you know exponentially so i think is key yeah once you find a, a groove and you really get into the flow state with your own you know, doings, whether that's podcasting, whether you're an artist, whether you're a musician, whatever really vibes with you, that could even be being a shaman. I mean, for some time in my life, I kind of, that's where I was leaning towards. Like I love plant medicine. I love crystals. I didn't know that podcasting would be even a possibility to make money, but I found them and I listened to them and I learned from them and here we are now, you know, but, but speaking of which we got a trip, man. Yeah, we got a we got a psychedelic roundtable that you and I are about to be a part of on the the Deep Share podcast. So why don't you let the listeners know where they can follow up? With, you're in our my family thinks I'm crazy Telegram chat. I hope if not, you better yeah. join tonight so folks I'll can get there. awesome. And yeah, I, I if you don't have one, I encourage you to make one for the Ascension of the Chessmen podcast. But tell us where we can follow up with you. Yeah, yeah. So thanks to you and Chance inspiring me i did start a telegram uh group i'm only at six members i have done the bare minimum advertising issue and brother like this has been a learning on the fly type of thing i just said i'm gonna start recording and hit the ground running and you know i wanted to say this earlier too like before i tell listeners where they can find me like if you go if you go and look at my show ascension of the chess men you can find me on all platforms. Go listen to episodes one through 12. Those were before I was taking the podcast seriously. I was doing them sporadically, like, you know, maybe once every couple of months. And they're very unprofessional as far as what I'm doing now. And I left those up there on purpose to show where I started and where I'm at now to inspire anyone out there who thinks like, you know, well, I'm just going to throw this recording in the trash. Like it's no good. Like, no, like leave it up there to remind yourself of where you started and where you can go. If you just keep, keep working and, you know, keep 
reaching out, you know, putting your nose on the grind and, you know, chasing your dreams really and uh, making it happen. But yeah, you can find me at Ascension of the Chessmen on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those. I'm hosted through Spreaker. I'm yet to start a website that's hopefully in the works down the line. I taught myself how to do all the editing. So that was a learning process in and of itself. Yeah, I just want to say you can add me on Facebook at Andre Mitty. Keep up with me on there. Got an Ascension of the Chessmen podcast on Facebook as well. You can find me on Instagram for today. Yeah, I mean, I'm just happy to be here, man, and thankful for the opportunity. I was still chatting with you, really. Yeah, and man. It's nice to meet you, sister. Advice. Oh, most definitely anytime. Yeah, man. And I, I, I should apologize because I think I always call you Andre Mighty, but I mean... <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool, right? There you go. But Andre Mitty, dude, this has been so much fun. And any anything in that realm, as far as advice that I may be able to help you, because I have, like you, learned all this on the fly, you know, and I kind of put together two websites so I could show you the ropes, so to speak. So don't hesitate to reach out. And, and yeah, dude, this is number two of the series of podcasts. I'm sure there'll be many more to come, uh, including the one we're about to be on together. So add that to the list as well. So dude, I'll see you there. And uh, thank you for joining me on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with that, I hope you do and enjoy the ever expanding now that we're all in together. Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast, and this is uh, the f- the fourth part of my series, The Witness, where we're covering consciousness as the focal point, the center point, and the all-encompassing aspect of what many would define as individual separate experiences, like paranormal experiences, alien abductions in some cases, near-death and outer-body experiences, and our topic tonight, which is one of my favorites, psychedelic experiences. So, how's everybody doing? Very good. (laughs) Outstanding. Fantastic. So, let's go around the horn. We got Andre Mitty. We've got Natasha Kushinka. Sorry, Natasha. Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. We have Carlos Tanner. We have Expanding Reality, Brandon Thomas, and we've got the Schumann being, Mason. How's it going, everybody? Hell yeah. Great. So, how should we start this off? Because this is going to get pretty personal at, at, at some level because we're going to be talking about our psychedelic experiences and how they possibly kind of can link up together and relate to you know, bigger subjects. So perhaps we can kind of uh, start off with giving a little bit of background and what our first encounter with psychedelics was, or yeah, let's start with our first rather than not necessarily our most intense or most breakthrough moment, but how did you get into the idea of even taking psychedelics? So let's start from my screen. Let's start with Andre. 
For me, man, it's, it's kind of funny. Well, I always knew about the Beatles, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So I was like, well, the best band of all time made a song about acid. And it was uh, Doc Ellis's learning that Doc Ellis of the Pittsburgh Pirates threw a no-hitter on acid. I was like, I got to try this stuff. So that's that's what got me to try acid the first time. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I actually had a similar experience where I had heard of, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there was some physicist that broke some code while driving on acid and he pulled over and had to like write it with a marker on his windshield or something and ended up solving some intense riddle in mathematics. How about Natasha? How you doing? Doing well. Make sure my mic is on. Yep. Uh, doing well. Check, check. My first experience, I believe, because I mean, it's it's been so long ago. I believe it was around age 23 with mushrooms. And yeah, it was just a nice experience. I mean, I it's just so long ago, you know, the first time, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I love mushrooms in general. It just, I feel like it's a nice little gateway into this uh, world. You know, not weed, mushrooms, you know, because it's not too intense. Yeah, it's it goes that, you know, the direction. And yeah, I'm, I am very much into prescribing this uh, modality for healing because, I mean, this this is not the only world that that's that exists you know and we need to make sure we see so i feel like mushrooms in my opinion is just great as a first (laughs) start i like it i like it that was also my first escapade into psychedelics as well however i did have the light-handed version and then i took a very high dose and man it rivals the intensity of any psychedelic in my opinion, but you know, those are some intense doses and it's not for everybody. <laughs> Mark, my man, what was your first experience on psychedelics like? Uh, well, first and foremost, thank you for asking me to be a part of this. I'm really excited to hear from all of you. I think it's kind of less psychedelic than most people would really consider, but Cannabis and tobacco combined were my first real psychedelic experience doing them alone, smoking in a treehouse that my father and I had built together. Something that really stuck with me to this day. Probably smoke a little bit on this show here, but I, I, you know, I don't want to, oh my goodness. Speaking of look, look at where the homie Romy is. So yeah, cannabis is, is in conjunction with tobacco was probably the first break through the threshold, I would say, for me. And uh, and yeah, I just also want to turn it over to Carlos if I could, because I think, you know, his work is incredible and he's inspired uh, a lot of folks. You know, Andre and I, we were just talking on uh, my podcast about Aya, and uh, I'm very, you know, it's an honor to be a part of this conversation with you, sir, given what you've done for plant medicine. Absolutely, Carlos. And actually, Carlos was next on my screen anyway, so it's a beautiful synchronicity. Carlos, let's hear from you, man. How did you first get into Thank you, Mark, for those kind words. And yeah, and thanks for having me on this panel. It's a pleasure to be here. I love talking about psychedelics, that's for sure. My first psychedelic experience, which definitely had a massive impact on me, was with my two older brothers, two people that I love more than anyone else on the planet and trust more than anyone else on the planet. They had experience. I was in high school visiting one of them at college and 
he came up with the idea, just the three of us, we each ate three and a half grams of mushrooms, just the three of us together. So, you know, it was like, like I said, just a, a incredibly safe space for me to trust the weirdness of the experience. And I just took to it like a fish to water. I loved it so much. So I didn't just like have that experience and go back home. I bought an ounce of mushrooms and brought them home and then, and started having like experiences on my own, which kind of like, you know, spun me out obviously to become the director of the ayahuasca foundation. But yeah, mushrooms were more my go-to until I found ayahuasca. I find that to be most people's answer is that mushrooms is almost like, dare I say a gateway drug in that sense, because it seems maybe it's, maybe it's because it's more natural seeming than acid or something like that. People are more attracted to it. And I, I, I find some good integrity there because it just means that on a subconscious level, we're drawn to nature rather than, you know, whatever's being made in the lab, which feels good. So Brandon, how's it going, man? And every day above ground is a great day. I also want to join Mark in thanking you for letting us do this, man. This is awesome. So it's good to see everybody. This is great. My first time was actually acid. It's funny. 18 years old, you got like $80,000 or something crazy. So we used to spend a lot of money to get hotel rooms and shit. One night he was like, you want to do acid? I was like, hell yeah. So I did that. Two hits of liquid. I had a great time. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. And then I was still in high school at the time. And uh, the story that I was staying out at somebody else's house fell through. And so I had to go back home, tripping balls for the first time in front of my mom. And it was terrifying, dude. Her eyeball popped out of her head, rolled down her you know, face and dropped. And I wasn't used to experiencing the lifting of the veil like that at all. Like I've done, you know, yes, Mark, you're absolutely right. Marijuana is technically a psychedelic, albeit a mild one. But it, this was very different. And we all know what I'm talking about. This shatters reality in every way possible, which is why I refer to it as like a cheat code or something, you know? And so with this experience, I definitely moved on to do more, but I wanted to know, Andy, what was your heroic dose of mushrooms? Positive, thanks to ignorance, I've got you beat. What was it? It was eight grams. Eight? Yeah. And I feel like I've heard you talk about yours and I think you do have me beat, don't you? Well, I didn't know anything about it. I was in Huntsville, Texas. The only thing to do to, is to get fucked up there. Uh, somebody I was like, do you want some mushrooms? I was like, absolutely. And nobody was around to tell me how to do it, how much to do anything like that. I was just getting fucked up. And I took 14 grams, put them in a blender with Kool-Aid, a little bit of water, just crushed it and slammed it, dude. It was horrible. But I was like, I guess this is just what it tastes like. And just slammed the hell out of it. 20 minutes later, unbelievable vomiting. And then probably the, the craziest about 12 to 16 hours I've ever experienced. It was, it was massive. It was really, really interesting. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was crazy acid first, then crazy, crazy mushroom. And uh, then just, of course, dabbling in between all that. That's how you expand reality, Brandon. That's, that's how Might you do as well. it. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to do it, I really have a go for it, you know? Yeah. So Mason, how's it going, dude? What's up, man? Glad to be here. Yeah. Glad so, to have uh, you, man. Yeah, my first my first ever experience with uh, with psychedelics was technically acid uh, a couple of years ago. Took a little bit, you know, with some friends around a campfire, and it was just you know it was all right. It was it was cool, but I was I was in a different headspace back then, and 
at the time it was more just, you know, oh, this is cool. This is like novelty, you know, it was more entertainment. And uh, I'm glad that I waited until my thirties, you know, this year was actually my first ever experience with mushrooms and what I would consider my first like true like experience with psychedelics on a level where like, I was like, wow, I, 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 I never seen reality in this way. I've never seen behind the veil. Like you guys would say, like, it was, it was a very different experience for me and, and much more eye opening. And actually part of my first ever experience was like a uh, part of my first human beings where I just, I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to like start recording, talk about what I'm going through. And that was kind of where I started, you know, the channel and, and making content. That's awesome, man. You know, I had a similar experience where after my initial mushroom trip, I just, I had to carry around a notebook everywhere I went. <laughs> and I was just like a crazy person, just writing things that were coming to me. And I guess now yeah. you, we'd all we'd all probably call them downloads. That's a popular term right. these days. But that's it was like just flashes because you can't take it all back with you. It's too much. So it's like right. my brain was spitting little bits of it back to me. It was wild. But yeah, that notebook helped when there was no big online communities. There was no Zoom. That you know. So it, this this is a whole new way to to journal, guys. I love it. And last but not least, the homie Romy sitting amongst plants right now. Plant friends. I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. Everybody, y'all are great. Thank you, Andy. I hope the Zoom is good because sometimes when we do Zoom, it it has a lag and a delay. Hey, it's sounding uh, pretty good. It looks pretty good. You're good. You, you, I will say you kind of look like you're reporting live from like a Russian like war zone. <laughs> it's a combination of your outfit, the headphones, and the fact that you're like hiding in a greenhouse right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many people everywhere on the farm right now. I was just like, fuck, where, where, where can I go to not to truly exude all of the sweet, sweet hidden mysteries here that we have upon us in this great, awesome, amazing giant group cast that we got going on yes but seriously i i'm so i i am apologetic and because i thought we were starting at a 6 30 pst and it was 6 pst so i did get a few minutes late are we describing our first time ingesting we, psychedelics we are just a little bit of background into how you got into psychedelics yeah you came uh, in just just the perfect amount of late too, Roman. You you made oh, an sweet. entrance. It's okay. I'm so I'm so grateful. Thank <laughs> you. I I'm, I don't like being late. I'm I am a workaholic. So, but my first time taking psychedelics was this kind of you know I just turned thirty this year and there's about like this whole humans and stuff. I feel like this there's so much psychedelics out there more maybe than there used to be, you know, it's kind of just part of like the growing up culture now. It's like, you know, you're taking it a lot younger. And so we, I think I was like a sophomore in high school and they were like, yo, we're going to take mushrooms today. And I was like, kind of scared, you know, I was like, okay, well, we're doing this because I'm hanging out with my friends and I definitely can't look like a loser. And boy, oh boy, it was a, a quite an amazing experience. We ate it on a dollar cheeseburger from McDonald's, if you can believe the hypocrisy in that. At the time, <laughs> it meant nothing. It was delicious. And later ran into the police. My friend had a cast on his leg with a skateboard and we're like, you know, cruising down the street. It wasn't until uh, later in my life when I chose to go to college, Western Washington University, where I was just like introduced like my roommate was a biochem major and I, he was 24 and I was 18 and he 
was he was an incredibly deep diver. And, you know, he was I I saw why I was going to be a chemist because he really enjoyed drugs. And and yeah, so that I kind of like shifted my whole life then and everything turned green after that. And everything's been about the earth ever since truly opening up my eyes and understanding that, you know, I think our existence is exactly coexistent with nature. There's no separation or anything. And the true drumbeat of our hearts is, you know, beating in that with the earth. And that's what psychedelics mean to me to, to always bring us back to the earth and understand that is the, the baseline of that. And yeah, it's crazy. It's such a crazy topic. I, you know, (laughs) Oh yeah. And I knew going into this that like, you know, how do you have one talk about psychedelics? How do you put someone on the spot and say, all right, how do you feel about this when it's the most insane experience that anyone could ever have? And then, you know, you look around and you do some digging and some research and you realize that all these same deep, I feel like we could all probably get down with this idea that we've all come across archetypes of some kind when taking psychedelics. Would, can, we, can we agree to that? Are we familiar with that idea? Oh, yeah. Some sort of, you know, seeing in metaphors perhaps and revealing things in that sense of the word? If that's Absolutely. a little vague, I can go Absolutely. a little further because <laughs> More it's less. <laughs> I can dive into that. Sure. By all means. Yeah. I, yeah. I, my intro is pretty short, so I'll tell yeah, a keep it going, story man. here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to say that that first acid trip I had, I was a uh, senior in high school and I had senior pictures the next morning. So not realizing you'd be up all night and your pupils would still be huge. My senior picture is uh, me coming off an acid trip. So (laughs) that was a good memory to look back on. So for me, man, as far as archetypes, it's kind of crazy because like the first time I did ayahuasca, the second time and uh, five grams of psilocybin mushrooms and silent darkness, they all tied together. And it was like the same message, but different archetypes. And the first, the first ayahuasca ceremony, it was uh, like growing up very religious in the church that was kind of forced upon me. And so that's what I was raised in. And so a lot of the God and devil imagery were coming up of this duality. And I, I felt what it was like to experience like being the Abrahamic God and being the devil and, you know, knowing what it's like to have that power is overwhelming and realizing there's aspects of each of those within each of us. And uh, it's all about the power you give it. And the second journey I had on ayahuasca, there was a battle between, at least I had the, the illusion of a battle between like this mother goddess, mother earth, mother Gaia energy, you know, divine feminine versus uh, this Abrahamic God, father, son energy. Like it was like, which one do I choose the divine masculine or divine feminine coming to realize, you know, it's about balancing the two and there's each of those aspects in each of us as well. And then the third being my mushroom journey and silent darkness was a game changer, man. That was my first time with no external influences and, you know, just kind of comparing and contrasting unity and duality and, you know, examining the aspects of each and going deep within the deep recesses of my mind in that experience and just loving myself, giving myself a big hug and telling me I'm doing fucking great. (laughs) 